Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you all had a lovely, wonderful Christmas. It's great to uh, have family in town. Maybe you're just getting back. Maybe you've had people come into town and you've been here. But, uh, but man, welcome this morning. Thanks for choosing to be here. I've got some family in town. My mom and dad are here. Can you guys just stand up and turn around so everybody can see your lovely faces? This is my mother and father. And my father, of course, is where I get my ability to dress uh, well. So it's great to have them here from New Jersey. My other sisters are here from New Jersey and from New York and all their families. So it's been a crazy week in the Heinz household, but it's been a, it's been a great week. Our family, as well as I think pretty much all the residents of North Carolina, have been struggling with a tad bit of sickness over these last couple of weeks, right? So, uh, so I'm a little, I got a little bit of a head cold, so I just want to throw the disclaimer out. If I'm taking an occasional sip of water, it's not just because I'm being so casual and, uh, you know, any other reason outside of I want to be able to talk. And this is actually the best I've sounded in the last five days. I don't know if anybody else has kind of had that head cold chest thing going on, right? But it's like I would start out a story with my family. Oh, yeah, well, what if I... And everything would just disappear into my chest, so... Thankfully, I'm on the upswing of that, but, uh, but yeah, we're just going gonna, gonna to plug ahead and uh, dive, into, dive into the text here, here this morning. So I wanted to tell you a, a story about a guy named Reginald Fessenden. Does that name do anything for anybody here? No, it didn't for me either before I came across this story this week. But Reginald Fessenden was an engineer. He worked in radio, and the year was 1906. And Reginald had been working closely with Thomas Edison and some others who were experts in this field, and they were trying to figure out how do we communicate through the air, through thin air, not through telephone wires, not through wired connections. How do we communicate through thin air? So he'd been messing around with radio waves, and they had figured out how to do Morse code. And so Reginald was there in his studio with the big tower right out front, right on the coast, and on occasion, you know, all these ships that went to and from all across up and down the eastern seaboard, they would do a Morse code if there was a storm coming or if there was an emergency or something like that. So all of these ships had these boxes that mostly emitted static unless there was an emergency in which they would get a tap, 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 long and short. And if you were lucky enough to know how to interpret that, and if you were listening at that very moment, you could get some sort of a message. Well, it was Christmas Eve in 1906 when he decided he was going to try something different. So without any fanfare, without any email blasts, without any press release, into the night at 9 o'clock p.m. on Christmas Eve, he made some adjustments and he experimented with the waves. And for the very first time, a human voice was heard on the radio. And he spoke into the darkness the words of Luke chapter 2, where we're going to be here this morning. So just imagine if you're a sailor on the sea in an empty ship, and you're just out there in the darkness, and all you've ever heard is static, and then all of a sudden out of this box, you hear a human voice. Where's that coming from? What is this all about? And the first words spoken were glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And the rest of the story from Luke chapter two. 
So whereas before, indiscernible, now there was logic, there was reason, it was understandable. To help with navigation, to understand what needed to be done. And I heard that story and I was so struck by it. Reginald, after reading the Christmas story, took out his violin and played Oh Holy Night, first couple of verses, and then the third verse it says, he actually accompanied himself as he sang. Just imagine how awkward that would be. Oh Holy Night. But that's what he did. And so for the first time, this message was received all across the Atlantic Ocean. And I thought that was just a neat story, factual story, as it relates to what we're talking about here. Because in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, we see the account that says, well, you know, Jesus came as a light into darkness. And it says he came and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. This idea, this concept that we had seen hints of, we talked about that last week. So there, there was hints of it. There was, there was a Morse code of some sort. If you really understood, if you were trained, you could kind of get a limited perspective. But in John chapter 1, it says, that word, that idea became flesh and dwelt among us. And that concept was now made known to everyone. So that's what we celebrated on Wednesday night. If you were here for the Christmas Eve service, Brian talked about Emmanuel. The greatest gift was God's presence with us. God with us. Last week, we talked about all the anticipation. Then we talked about, okay, God's with us. And this week, we're talking about, okay, what is our response? What are we going to do with that presence of God? What do you do with the presence in your household that don't quite catch on? Goodwill a couple of weeks later. Anybody guilty of that? Regifting. Anybody guilty of that? It's like, no, I don't like that. Don't even open it. Let's save that for some other time. We do a lot of things with the presents that we don't necessarily care for. My mom's here. She can attest to this story. I shared this. We had a life group over for dinner, and I shared, shared this tale. I, for some reason, when I was growing up, I tried to be creative in the gifts that I got. I mean, one year I handcrafted every gift that we gave to our family. I was like Charles Ingalls. I, like, I had this big tin thing, and I like wrote out Merry Christmas and gave that to somebody. And then like I created this big castle out of cardboard boxes and gave that to one of my sisters, spray painted it pink. You know, the thing looked absolutely hideous, but I made it. You know, I wanted my blood and sweat and tears to be in these things, right? I had a bunch of weird gifts that I gave. But one year I was, you know, in the mall and had about $4 to spend. And I saw this gift that caught my eye and said, that would be a great gift for our family. We are constantly losing our remote controls. So that looks like the solution. So I bought it, brought it home, wrapped it, gave it to my mom. She opened it up. Oh, Jerry, this is interesting. It was these two freakishly white hands, plastic hands, like this, on this big giant base, looking like something from the Munsters or, you know, coming out of your coffee table, apparently, that was the perfect spot for these remote controls to go. And if that doesn't scream class, I don't know what does. 
That was my gift to my mom that year. And whatever happened to those, mom? Yeah, there you go. No, the, these gifts had a way of just kind of disappearing a couple of days later somehow, you know? So anyway, what do we do with this gift? That's what we want to talk about. We want to enter into the story, pick it up here in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be going in a second to Matthew chapter 2. Parallel versions of the story. And what we want to dive into this morning is we want to talk about four different responses that you can have to this gift of God's presence. So Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 15. And we're going to talk first and foremost about the shepherds. About the shepherds. Luke chapter 2, verse 15. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. If you're taking notes here this morning, I've just crafted a couple brief little sentences about what the response was. The shepherds, if you're taking notes, the shepherds' response was that they amplified the message. They amplified the message. Now, there's a little bit of work that we need to do here to talk about this idea of the shepherds. Shepherding had been an occupation that most people just kind of came into for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. We need to survive. We need to have sheep. We need to have cattle. We need to have chickens. It was an honorable, noble profession for thousands of years. Moses was a shepherd. You could name, you could name just about all the patriarchs. That's what they did. But around this time, 2,000 years ago, society was changing. There's a lot more people that were establishing towns. People were learning trades. People were trading goods and services. There's a lot of other things going on. And shepherding kind of took a little bit of the back burner. And it almost seemed as if shepherds were now seen as unskilled tradesmen that couldn't do anything else. And honestly, in that culture, a lot of them were looked down upon. They were looked down upon for a couple of reasons. Number one, they were typically dirty. They stayed out all night with their sheep. They lived in tents. Most of them traveled around in kind of a nomadic type of culture, almost like gypsies. And that same suspicion that you have of those kinds of people that are just kind of drifters, they travel around. A lot of shepherds were accused of or guilty of stealing sheep in the middle of the night. They didn't necessarily have huge pens and security gates and everything like that. So they were looked down upon. And as a matter of fact, several sources that I checked said that in a Jewish court of law, a shepherd's testimony was not allowed because they weren't trusted. So can you imagine by your very profession, just because of what you do, automatically your word is not believed by anybody in authority. And yet, these are the ones that the angels, that God chose for the angels to share this with right out of the gate. The ones that wouldn't be believed. The ones that nobody liked. The ones that everybody was suspicious of. That's like a politician or somebody running for government being like, yeah, you know that homeless man that's right off there off that exit? I want that dude to be my spokesman. 
I want quotes by his, you know, Jerry is trustworthy, honorable, and has character. Signed, homeless man, right off of 540 near the mall. You know what I mean? Nobody would do that. What do you want? You want people that are learned. You want people that are respected, pillars of your community to stand behind you and say, that guy's got my support. But once again, you see right out of the gate, God shows the foolish things of the world. God shows purposefully the most broken, the ones that had essentially nothing to offer, the ones who were humble. God chose them and entrusted them with this message. So what was their response? They amplified the message. I want to go over this passage again, highlight a couple key words. Verse 15, after they got this news, verse 15, it says, they said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Let's move, let's do it, let's act. Let's not just sit here and enjoy. Let's not talk about, wow, that was impressive. Let's go do something about it, right? Continue on, verse 16. It says, and they went with haste. There was a passion. There was a motivation for them to get there. Skip down a little bit more to verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them. They made it known. They broadcast it. They amplified it. They couldn't stop talking about it. You know how we know that? Skip down to verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The shepherds lived the kind of lives, they responded in such a way to this great news that they caused everybody else to wonder about this good news. And my question to you this morning, as you think about your response to Jesus and God coming near, is who are you making wonder? Who are you causing to wonder and be curious? And man, why do they live their lives like that? Why do they keep on talking about that? These shepherds apparently is... Essentially, the first converts were just so excited and they couldn't keep their mouth shut about it. And my question to myself, as well as to us, is what happened along the way? Why does it seem now sometimes like, hmm, who do I really share this message with? Why does it seem forced? Why doesn't it come naturally like it did for them? They amplified the message. Perhaps... Go tell it on the mountain is truly the most appropriate carol for this story because that's exactly what they did. That was their response. Number two, we're gonna have to hustle because we got four of these and there's so much good stuff here. For number two, you're actually gonna need to go back to Matthew chapter two and we're gonna start in verse three. Luke two and Matthew two. This one's in Matthew two. Start in verse three. It says this, now when Herod the king heard about all this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. 
And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Isn't that interesting? Just to pause there for a moment. Even all the chief priests knew that the Messiah was going to come from Bethlehem. Keep on reading verse 7. But then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I may come and worship too. What was Herod's response? Herod's response was one of hostility and threat. Hostility and threat. So you see, there were wise men in that region that had heard and saw a star. The Messiah was going to be born. Herod, and it says he gathered all the chief priests and all the wise men, and he immediately had this view that some of my authority, some of my rule, some of my comfort is going to be affected. The title of Herod for decades before this was King of the Jews. And so now he's there in his kingdom and in his throne and he prided himself in keeping all these crazy Jews under control. And now all of a sudden he gets this news that there's a new king of the Jews that's being born. And his response to God's presence was one of jealousy, anger, hostility, and feeling threatened. Is it possible in our society that that's the way maybe some of us feel? Certainly not to that, not to that extent, right? You remember later on in the chapter, he went out of decree and said, every, every child under the age of two that's a male, I want them killed. He responded in absolute violence and murder so that he could keep his throne. But the point is still there. Is there some level that we can feel a threat when we think about King Jesus? I like having control of my finances. I like having control of my time and what I'm doing and where I'm going, who I'm spending time with. And man, if I look at this Jesus who now supposedly should be my king, should be my master, should be my Lord, in essence then, am I not saying, okay, well, all these possessions that I have, I'm no longer in control, you're in control. Does that threaten me? Is my kingdom over here that I've built for so long and worked so hard for, there's a threat to that kingdom. And that's what Herod's response was. And maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling some of that too. What would it be like if you truly gave it all over and said, all right, well, you must increase and I must decrease. Like John the Baptist said, you're the king, I'm the servant, you're the master, I'm the slave. Not my will, but your will. What would that be like? It's this response that we have to watch out for because it comes pretty naturally. Protective. Let's continue down in, uh, in verse 10. Let's talk about the wise men. Verse 10, still in Matthew chapter 2. 
It says this, and, and when they, that is the wise men, saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. What was the response of the wise men? They responded with joy and with sacrifice. With joy and with sacrifice. Now I want you to look at verse 10 again. If you got a pen out, if you got your handheld device, I want you to highlight this phrase. If you got a pen, I want you to underline it, verse 10. The phrase that says, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Go ahead and circle that, underline that, box that in somehow. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now they're using a literary device there. It's basically saying the same thing, but multiplied by three. Rejoiced by itself is a pretty strong word, right? When's the last time you rejoiced? When your team got into the playoffs? Maybe when you got that great gift that you were looking for? Like rejoicing is not just, ah, that's nice. Rejoicing is pretty full on happy. But they rejoiced exceedingly Oh, and by the way, the other thing that they had was great joy. Three different times piled on. And these are full-grown men. What does it look like when full-grown men rejoice exceedingly with great joy? You ever seen a picture of that? I love to mock pictures of that. You know, when you see sometimes what people get excited about. I remember like a year ago, you know, and our... Tradition after Sunday night, full day of ministry with my family back in Michigan. We would go to a sports restaurant. It's called Champs. Champs with two Ps. Champs. Copyright something or other. Do you have any of those down here? I don't think so. Anyway, northern thing. So we'd go there Sunday night. We wouldn't get there till 10 o'clock because that's when they had all their half-price appetizers. Right? And we homeschool. So it's all good. So there we were. Sunday night, 10 o'clock, we're rocking in the champs like we normally do and getting our wings and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, there's, this place is packed. This place is normally empty. What's going on? Oh, WWE is having their big tournament tonight. That's World Wrestling Entertainment something or other, right? Some big wrestling tournament. I don't know how you feel about professional wrestling. No offense to anybody here that's into professional wrestling. I used to be into professional wrestling when I was like eight. (laughs) But anyway, if that's your deal and you love that stuff and you follow those guys, right on to you. Don't mean to alienate the fans of the WWE. But we go rolling into this joint and it is packed to the gills with middle-aged men, most of whom do not have one of these. And they are super into the WWE that's going on. I mean, they are hanging on every body slam. You know, if some guy looks like he's about ready to get pinned, this one dude climbed up on a chair and he's yelling and cheering at the big screen, like so into the wrestling. And I only knew one thing about wrestling because I had seen it on TV somewhere. And that was this little thing where the guy just goes, yes, 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 yes. And then like everybody does it. So I'm there with my family and we're kind of making fun. I'm like, what do you say we start that yes chant? Let's just do it. 
It's like, dad, that's so weird. Come on, let's do it. I can fit in with all these guys. So we just start the yes chant and I start, I'm looking at other guys and they're like, yeah, man, that's a good one. So I like stand up and I'm getting into it out of like sheer mockery, but they didn't really know it. But anyway, pretty soon the whole place is doing it and they're just getting so excited about what's going on on the screen and it's wrestling. But you see this all the time. You see it in the sports world. You think about your own life personally. What causes you to rejoice exceedingly with great joy? Three times the amount of cheer and happiness and laughter and goodness as anything else you can think about in the last year that somehow got you jacked up, fired up and excited and happy. Well, these three wise men, it says, magi or astrologers from the east, meaning most scholars believe Babylon, Babylonian astrologers, not even a part of the nation Israel, somehow saw this miraculous sign. It was made known to them and they came and they were excited. And so what's happened to a lot of us where we don't feel that same excitement or we feel that same excitement, but it's misdirected. That's what this response was. And we need to learn from that. So they had, they had joy and then sacrifice as well, right? Gifts. You see the listing of the gifts there. These gifts meant something. They were prophetic. They were profound. They gave gold. That represented royalty for a king, something regal and honorable. They gave frankincense, which was an essential oil, apparently. I think one of them kind of had a party, put it up on Facebook. Hey, I'm having a little essential oil party. I'll bring some frankincense. No, it's true. Frankincense was an oil that was used largely thousands of years ago in the temple as a scent offering that would rise to heaven. So it was something that priests would use. So frankincense was reserved for priests. Somehow they probably didn't even know it. Now we look back on it. We see it. Jesus was a priest. A priest is somebody that goes in between the people and God. And according to the book of Hebrews, Jesus was the perfect high priest that intercedes for us that prays for us and that paves the way for us to access God the Father. And the last one, myrrh, is a burial spice. It represented, we don't know all the details, but he's somehow going to have a significant death. We don't know what that's going to look like or what that's going to be. Little did they know how significant it was going to be. And finally, the last one, I want you to turn back just for a moment to Luke chapter two. Again, as we talk about the final response. I'm gonna read in verse 19. I want you to picture for a moment, teenage Mary. Christmas time, often we talk about memories. I don't know if you guys do this. What was your favorite Christmas? Oh, remember that one Christmas where we 
whatever. And like, there's, there's a lot of nostalgic pieces to it, right? And here's Mary in Luke chapter 2, verse 19. She's 13 or 14 years old, barely a teenager. And yet she's seeing all of this unfold right before her eyes. And there's a beautiful phrase and two key words in here that are a beautiful response for us this morning. Verse 19, after the shepherds came and went and everything else, it says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I want you to underline that word ponder. If you've got a pen there. Mary treasured up all of these things. Treasure, that speaks of value. I'm going to treasure this. I'm taking a mental snapshot. I value this moment. Here are the shepherds. There's Joseph. I'm looking around in the scene. There's my, the son of God in a manger. I'm just taking mental snapshots right now. And I'm treasuring and valuing this. But then it says, she pondered these things in her heart. That's a very unique word if you Google it and look on the Webster's Dictionary like I did. Literally, it means to think or contemplate before making a decision to ponder. And you know, a lot of times the dictionaries will have like a little sentence to help you use it in a sentence. And the sentence on the website that, that I found says, this morning he pondered what he was going to wear. Any guys ponder what they're going to wear this morning? Seems like a pretty shallow. We got one. Awesome. Right on. I think the word ponder goes a little bit deeper than, hmm, should I wear this or this? And truly, if you trace back the word to its original usage, it's related to the word ruminate. And the word ruminate comes from a term that has to do with bovines, cows, Follow this for a second. You're like, nice Christmas message, pastor. I want to talk to you about cows. Cows have several different compartments in their stomach. And when you see a cow, it'll spend a little bit of time just taking in some hay or some straw or some grass. And then it'll just go off. It's done. But what does it do for the entire rest of the day? Well, it goes to one compartment, and he starts chewing it, mulling over it, bearing down on it. It goes back down. A little while later, compartment two, that's disgusting. That's where the word comes from. But think about the concept. Mary was pondering, ruminating, chewing over, focusing on continually what had just happened. And I love it because later on at the end of Luke chapter two, you see kind of the equivalent of that in verse, uh, in verse 51. Second half of it says, and his mother, that is Mary, treasured up all these things in her heart. Same idea. That's 12 years later. Beginning of chapter two, end of chapter two, 12 years. But Mary is continually taking it in and letting it affect her. 
Why is that? Why is she doing that? Why did she respond that way? Well, I love the uh, prophecy that you see of an old man named Simeon. We don't have time to go over all of it. But I love his prophecy because he says this to Mary. He said, essentially in chapter 2, he had been promised that he was going to see this Messiah, this Redeemer, and now he was holding the child in his arms. And he prophesied, and he said to Mary, starting in verse uh, 33, says this, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. That's Joseph and Mary. Verse 34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revered. In other words, this child, Jesus, he's going to redeem many. He's going to give many new life. He's going to understand the thoughts of everyone. He's God, but Mary, watch out. He says, a sword will pierce your soul also. There's going to be heartache, Mary. I can't tell you all of it right now, but you better be ready. There's going to be heartache. Could it be that Mary's strength came from taking in these moments, pondering these moments, letting them affect her and strengthen her? These beautiful moments. So that when the difficult moments came and when the heartache and the piercing of her soul came, that she would be ready. So I don't know where that leaves you this morning. I don't know of these four brief examples of responses to God. I don't know which one of those you would resonate with the most. Maybe for you, you need to focus on, hey, the shepherds, man, what they did, that's what I need. That excitement, that passion, that sharing, that broadcasting, that amplifying, I haven't been doing anywhere near what I need to do of that. I've been quiet for way too long. And it's about time that I started to have some people astonished and bewildered at what I'm saying. Maybe for some here, you're like Herod and the chief priests. And you feel that threat, that kingdom threat, that ownership, that possession, that decision-making authority threat that says, I'm going to have contempt. I don't want you. I don't want any other kings. I'm doing just okay right here. Maybe for some of you, you need to look at the wise men and say to yourself, man, I got not even a hint of rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. I haven't had a whole lot of that at all. And I need to experience that wonder and that joy and that excitement all over again. And maybe for some of you, it's like Mary. Maybe you've been so distracted, so busy with everything else, family and meals and movies and presents and travel that you've not truly 
taken the time to ponder, to navigate in your heart and in your soul this great gift that God's given us. So wherever that finds you here this morning, I'm here to tell you, it's all right. God had you here for a morning to hear this message this morning. And man, he's he's ready for us to respond no matter what our response has been. So let's bow and let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we just want to take a second and pause. Father, we don't do anywhere near as much pausing as we should, response as we should. And God, I just want to thank you here this morning that you spoke out a word and spoke out that voice into the darkness, into the void, so that we could understand and help us with navigation, floating as we were, directionless. Jesus, I thank you that you brought your light into this world. And Father, I thank you. And I'm humbled by the fact that you're now asking us to be carriers of that light. So Lord, let this gift affect us. Let your presence infect us. We love you, God. In your son's name we pray. Amen.